0: Matthew chapter 19 beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, But only those to whom it has been given For some are eunuchs because they were born that way Others were made that way by men And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven The one who can accept this should accept it Then little children were brought to Jesus For him to place his hands on them and pray for them But the disciples rebuked those who brought them Jesus said Let the little children come to me And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Amen.
1: Father in heaven, thank you for the time that we have now. Please help us to uh, think carefully about what your word teaches us about this topic of divorce and uh, the values that you have in your kingdom. And we pray that you would help us uh, to concentrate and to grow in response uh, to this teaching and to increase our, our clearness in our thinking on it and our trust in you would grow as a result of that. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the advantages of the information revolution is that statistics are pretty easy to get your hands on. You might have noticed that if you've... Um Ever looked up Google to get on the Australian Bureau of Statistics website uh, and when I did that recently to look up uh, some statistics on divorce I was mildly surprised by what I discovered apparently 33% of all marriages uh, from 2000 to 2002 could be expected to end in divorce And that's actually up from uh, 1985 to 1987, where it was about 28% of marriages could be expected to end in divorce. So in short, what they're saying is uh, for Australian society, close to one in three marriages will probably finish. I say I was only mildly surprised by those statistics, because with with a statistic like that... uh, It seemed to reflect my experience of being in contact with a whole lot of people whose lives are affected by divorce. And if you think about the number of people that you know that have been affected by divorce, you might also be um, not so surprised as well. Personally speaking, uh, I'm a child of parents who've divorced. Only seven years ago when Helen, our firstborn, was born, uh, my parents separated. And I think a couple of years later, they are divorced. And so... Yeah, that's something which I've experienced a fair bit of sadness with and quite a few tears over the years as well. But the sort of sorrow that I've experienced in relation to my parents' um, situation and divorce uh, is still probably nothing compared to the people who are personally involved in a broken marriage and the extent of the grief that's in those situations. So I don't want to diminish or depreciate the seriousness for those people who have been involved in a divorce Uh, directly but as christians as disciples of the lord jesus christ questions that we ought to grapple with are what are we to make of marriage is it is it so special that it's worth preserving or is it an institution that's uh on its way out and not worth even worrying about salvaging and what about our opinion of divorce is it even possible to come to a right view about divorce and remarriage in the context of so many complexities in human relationships. Well, opinions I've noticed on divorce are often pretty passionate, sometimes controversial and heated. And it seems that there's a a long history of controversy over this topic. Even 2,000 years ago, the Pharisees uh, come and try to get into it with Jesus as they... uh, come to him on his way up to Jerusalem and they come to test him. We see that in uh, Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees come to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Well, what is their test going to prove? The answer is, the way that Jesus answers would show them where he stood on questions about what is lawful and what is not lawful. And in this case, they want to see what's lawful about the topic of divorce. There were different schools amongst the Pharisees. Some held uh, fairly hardline views. They were from the Shamite camp. uh, And then there were people who held much more lenient views uh, about what's lawful and what's not. And those were from the Hillel school. To divorce... His wife, for every cause, could serve as a a fairly sweeping summary from the more lenient school. As you might have guessed, that's from the Hillel school. And from that point of view, people along those lines of thinking decided that uh, any number of ridiculous reasons could be advanced for a just divorce. In those days, there wasn't quite the bureaucracy that we've got now. Uh, getting a divorce was as simple as telling the person, you're divorced, that's it, and giving the lady a certificate of divorce and putting her out. And from the commentators that I've read, the more lenient view of divorce, uh, for any and every reason, was a more popularly accepted kind of position. It seemed to give men more power uh, in, their, in their situations in marriages. But when Jesus comes to answer this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? He takes us back to the start, to the origins, where God's intentions for marriage and God's values for marriage are made clear, and Jesus affirms those. We'll see that in 19 verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus reminds the Pharisees that the God who created humanity to be two sexes also designed marriage. He laid it down that those two should come together as one complete unit. Marriage is actually God's good design for his creation. And the special relationship that will exist between a husband and wife is to take even more precedence over the close relationship that are, that parents will have with their children. As two people leave their families, they, they don't so much cut off, so much as grow apart. And then they cleave a word which means to pull apart or stick together. In this case, cleaving to one's wife means sticking together. And they become a new family. And Jesus tells us that marriage is God's work. He says what God has joined together. Marriage can be thought of as, as something that God has glued together. And so he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I saw an illustration of this uh, kind of concept a a little while ago when I did a marriage course where someone held up a piece of paper that was glued together. Uh, God has done the cementing in marriage, so to speak, but when someone takes a a piece of paper and they glue it together, to try to pull it apart is going to cause a lot of damage, isn't it? You can't pull that thing that's been glued together apart without damaging both pieces of paper. And it seems to me that's a reasonable little image of what happens when there's a divorce. Those of you who are familiar with uh, families that have ended in divorce will know that there is much sorrow in that process that leads up to divorce, in the divorcing process, and then for a long time afterwards. Jesus isn't saying that it's impossible uh, for people to separate what God's joined together, but he is saying it shouldn't happen. Human action to finish off what God's joined together is wrong. Divorce wasn't God's intention from the beginning. And yet it's against these strong and very positive statements from Jesus about God's intentions for marriage to be a permanent institution that the Pharisees think that they can counter what Jesus has got to say with a another passage from the Bible. And they're thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 1 to 4, which talks about sending a wife away with a certificate of divorce if, if the husband finds something indecent in her. And so in Matthew 19, verse 7, they, they challenged Jesus. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? There, answer is that, Jesus. Well, in this debate, it's not so much the topic of whether divorce is legal or not that's under discussion. Uh, people accepted that divorce was legal, but they did haggle about the grounds of divorce. And some of the reason why they were fighting so hard to work out whether things were just divorces or not, legal divorces, uh, was because if they were an unjust divorce, uh, they'd have to pay back their dowry, the, the bride price. But if they got a, a, a legal divorce, that, that wasn't the case. That was some of the ancient Near Eastern background to this. Well, Jesus goes on to address this controversy and says in Matthew 19, verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Jesus already endorsed God's good intentions for marriage and the design for it to be permanent. But now he reminds the Pharisees that the divorce law wasn't so much commanded, as they like to put it, so much as saying it was permitted. The divorce law wasn't a sign of uh, God's great approval on divorce, that it was somehow a wonderful blessing. Jesus says the divorce law was a sign of sinful hard hearts hard hearts towards god in the in the old testament pharaoh was held up as someone who who hardened his heart towards god uh, he was an example of a hard-hearted man and the bible tells us that we can harden our hearts towards god as well and it's these hard hearts which jesus uh, gives us the reason for a divorce law for in the old testament divorce was practiced in any case people did divorce their spouses marriages ended But the divorce law became a way of regulating what was happening so that people got protected. It didn't necessarily endorse divorce so much as just regulate or manage how it should happen. So the wife received a certificate of divorce, uh, presumably to show that she's no longer married and in that society was able to remarry. So according to Jesus... Divorce was permitted as a form of damage control for when people ended their marriages. But against those people who would say that uh, along the very lenient view of what's lawful, it's lawful for divorce on for any and every reason, Jesus makes the following pronouncement against that kind of lenient approach to divorce. I tell you in verse 9 that anyone who divorces his wife Except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So, for the men who wanted to reject God's intentions for marriage, those who wanted to dodge their responsibility to look after their wife, those who thought they could just uh, simply take a woman, have her for a while, and then simply tell her she's divorced, write out a certificate and put her out on the street when it suited them, and then go and do that again with somebody else, and again, and again, it's against that kind of practice that Jesus takes a stand and says no. That kind of contempt for marriage and divorce is not lawful. In fact, it's that kind of approach to marriage which means the next, these kinds of divorces were phony ones. And so, if there's no marital unfaithfulness and they're just being uh, divorced for any and every reason, that's a, that's a phony divorce. And the ensuing marriages, Jesus counts as adulterous ones. I think this context really helps us to appreciate Jesus' strong language um, about situations of divorce we can see that he's reacting against a very lenient view where uh, people aren't upholding the spirit of marriage and divorce as God set it down. But however, this um, passage is not all there is to be said uh, from God's word about the topic of divorce. For example, Paul also speaks about the state of a believer's marriage if their unbelieving spouse leaves them. We see that in 1 corinthians chapter 7 verse 15 this is what paul writes he says but if the unbeliever leaves let him do so a believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances god has called us to live at peace in peace in this part of the bible that paul's dealing with people might have become christians perhaps one partner one spouse and maybe not the other uh, and he regards the situation where a spouse leaves or deserts as being a situation not as a grounds for divorce, but as a divorce that's already happened, that one party has already broken their marriage covenant and expressed that by leaving. They left their spouse whom they were to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, forsaking all others, in sickness, in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, from that day forward till death parted them, that marriage covenant was broken by the spouse who chose to leave. And Paul says for that remaining spouse, the believer, they are then free to remarry. It would be like a situation if their, if their married partner died, they'd be free to remarry. And so what Paul's talking about in this um, section of the Bible seems to be the, the other end of the spectrum of what Jesus was teaching against. Jesus was correcting that approach of men who wanted to scrap heap their wives and who wanted to get out of their marriages for whatever reason. But in this part of the Bible, Paul's actually speaking more about the status of a person who has their marriage finished up by another person who breaks the covenant. And there are situations where people do break their marriage covenants. Far from loving their spouse, some people inflict severe abuse on their spouse. Sometimes that's alcohol related. Far from cherishing their spouse they can threaten the life of their spouse and end up putting a person in hospital uh, close to death. That would seem to be an example of breaking the marriage covenant to love and to cherish. Or In some situations, people break their marriage covenants by putting their spouse out of the family home and depriving them of a livelihood, food and lodging that would be, in my view, uh, not a way to uphold one's marriage vows, but to destroy them. And if a believer, a so-called believer, behaved in this kind of way, and their sin wasn't repented of, according to the process that Jesus has laid out to us in Matthew chapter 18, it would be appropriate for that person who broke the marriage covenant to be no longer treated as a brother or sister in Christ they'd be treated as an unbeliever. And I think it would be consistent to see that the believing spouse who had their marriage terminated by the actions of the other person to break that covenant and to desert the marriage, in fact, that that believing spouse would no longer be bound in that situation. And thus it seems to me that uh, they would also be free to remarry in that circumstance the reason why I've raised this second example about the divorce scenario from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is in order to show that God's word is dealing with situations where one member breaks the covenant and the other person has to get on with life and deal with that scenario the burden of the other passage that we looked at from Matthew's gospel really seems to be directed at the kind of approach where some people Want to just get out of their marriage it doesn't always say a lot about the other side for the person who has been the victim if you like so it is useful to take in the whole scope of what the bible says um, about divorce now we haven't concentrated on every topic that would um, probably take a series but it's worth saying that the burden of today's passage reminds us of the permanency of marriage and the high view of marriage that god holds As people who uh, live under Jesus' lordship, under God's kingship, we should be uh, keeping in step with God's high view of marriage. We should feel the weight of this challenge not to separate what God has joined together, particularly when we live in a society where the divorce rate is alarmingly high. And for us who are married, the challenge for us remains to strengthen the bonds of our marriages with our spouse, and for us to recall our wedding vows. For those of you who are married, if you a good question to raise, can you remember what it was that you promised? And we should think carefully about ways that we can, uh, not minimise what we can do for our marriage vows, but look to ways we can achieve those marriage vows to the utmost. Well, if you think Jesus' teaching on uh, divorce was fairly hard line, you're not the only ones, uh, and neither am I. If we look at verse 10, we see that the disciples thought it was a fairly hard line too. Matthew 19, verse 10. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus appears to um, pick up on this comment about it being better not to marry. And he takes that throwaway line seriously as he starts to talk about being celibate or single, where some have even become single for the kingdom of God. we see that in verse 11 through to 12. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Jesus is pointing out here that marriage isn't for everyone. Some people were born eunuchs, others were made that way. In the, Greek, uh, in the footnote in your Bibles, you might notice that it says others have made them eunuchs for the, king, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, which uh, the NIV translates for that idea and says that some have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is using figurative language here. However, uh, not everybody's always taken it that way. When I was studying church history at the PTC, we read a a church historian called Eusebius who talked about one of the early church fathers, a leader of the church called Origen, who actually took this section of scripture literally. But I think uh, the NIV is very helpful when it translates for the idea uh, and puts the metaphor in a helpful way to remind us that some people have chosen a single life to focus solely on advancing God's mission in the world, to strengthen and build his church and to reach out to people and call them to turn back to God and to live with Jesus as Lord and Saviour. It's not so much encouraging people to take these words literally, which is a relief. The people who have chosen to uh, live a single life for the kingdom of heaven have really in mind the things of God and not the things of men. They've chosen, uh, obviously, not to please a marriage partner and to make God's work in the world their prime focus. And there have been some uh, notable Christian leaders who've taken that approach. Dick Lucas, John Stott and John Chapman are examples of men who've uh, seemed to have had the gift of singleness and pursued a a single life for the glory of God. Uh, Many of us might not have even considered having a single life to advance God's um, mission in the world. But maybe that reflects more of our, our us getting caught up in our own agendas as opposed to thinking about the um, what God's actually doing in the world. Maybe we, we need to feel the heat of this challenge. Certainly if we're already married, though, the, that little window has closed. Some people have been godly uh, and been single for the Lord and the glory goes to God as a result of their willingness to serve God as a single person. In the next part of this passage, we're seeing some... Uh, more talk about human relationships as um, Jesus teaches about God's values, uh, God's kingdom values as we live as his people. In Matthew 19 verse 13, we see some of Jesus' insights about his attitudes to the little children. It says in verse 13, 19 13, Then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And to pray for them but the disciples rebuked those who brought them jesus said let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these when he had placed his hands on them he went on from there in this scenario we we get the picture that the the disciples probably thought that the kids were getting in the way and so they rebuked the people that were bringing these little kids to jesus but they failed to draw the same conclusion about the importance of the children uh, to what Jesus drew. Jesus says, "The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these." These children in a sense are a model of whom the kingdom belongs to, those who love Jesus, who want to be with Jesus, who trust him. These are the people that will be belonging in his kingdom. And we get a picture of the value that jesus uh a change of the values i suppose that jesus brings into the world where in that society children were you know fairly low on the pecking order they were bottom feeders as they say in the in the social world they didn't have much to offer in terms of power or wealth they were, they were dependents but jesus is saying it doesn't matter about their power and authority these lowly people are important in god's kingdom And so he challenges uh, even the disciples at this point as to how God's kingdom values are different to the world's values. And in this instance, the disciples were probably a bit embarrassed to learn the hard way about how God's values are different to the world's values. Well, in conclusion, it's worth us grappling with the question, do you and I live out God's kingdom values? We've seen that the values... That Jesus holds are permanency in marriage. The uh, he holds the the value of actually staying for people to stay committed to their vows, to to love their spouse uh, for the long term. He sees it's an important value to pursue God's work in the world, even over above the married life. That that's a, that's actually a more important priority, and Jesus values. Caring for kids, caring for the lowly. Easy to care for them when they're so cute, isn't it? (laughs) But do you and I live out God's kingdom values? God calls us to be different to the people of the world. If we're out of step with um, modern society, particularly with the um, divorce rate and the way that we think about marriage compared to society, well, so be it as god's people we're called to live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world and so we need to keep being distinctive and different in godly ways we need to be uh, people who continue to wrestle with what is it what does it mean to please god how is that going to play out in our lives and what does it mean to just be keen to be popular i think we need to say let's work at being salt and light let's Work at being people who want to please God and serve him and and take on his values above all. And in that way, bring glory and honour to him alone. Let's ask God to help us to do that this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your good and wonderful design of marriage. And we thank you that uh, you have joined people together. And we pray that certainly in the marriages... um, that we, uh, we might be able to encourage people to, to persevere, um, that we might not separate what God has joined together. Father, we give you thanks that some people uh, are very keen to keep in step with your work in the world, that they've even chosen a single life for the advancement of your kingdom because they have in mind not the things of men, but they have in mind your interests. And Father, we thank you that Jesus shows us the example here of caring for children, caring for the lowly. And Father, we pray that you would help us not to take the world's view of children or or the lowly, those who are without much power, but to care for them as you do. Father, we pray that you would help us to take on your values and to be distinctive people, to live as salt and light in the world, and we ask that you'd help us Uh, to do that for your glory and honour alone. And we pray that you'd help us to do that. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.